the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Great job. It's been 19 months. We're getting that down. And with your spirit. You know, I was living in Guatemala two summers ago, and I was trying to explain to them about the fact that we still said, and also with you. And we were switching this. And they just thought, well, who would ever say, and also with you? Because every other language has said, and with your spirit, for the last 40 years. English is the odd duck. But it seems like we're getting the hang of it. You know, at first it was a little weird, but I'm sort of liking this idea of we acknowledge as we greet one another the presence of the Spirit. And guess what? St. Paul is going to greet us that way at the conclusion of the letter to the Galatians today in our second reading. And our gospel, still we're in the gospel of Luke, which is called the gospel of the Holy Spirit, and we have a real sense of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel today. This is one of my favorite passages where Luke commissions a group of disciples as his advanced team to go out to the villages ahead of him. Now, in some translations, it says that there were 72 disciples. And in other translations, it says 70. Actually, I shouldn't say translations. Manuscripts. The earliest manuscripts we have are about split between 70 and 72. Well, which is it? Well, I'm going to argue for 70, and I think I have the best book of the Bible to back me up. It's the book of Numbers. So this comes from an event that is recorded in Numbers that happened at Mount Sinai. The Lord said to Moses, Assemble for me 70 of the elders of Israel and bring them to the tent of meeting. When they are in place beside you, I will come down and speak with you there. I will also take some of the spirit that is on you and will confer it on them, that they may share the burden of the people with you. You will then not have to bear it by yourself. Perhaps the 70 Christian disciples received a share of Jesus' spirit, just as the 70 elders received a share of Moses' spirit. How graced we are. How filled we are with the Holy Spirit. In last week's gospel passage, Jesus was rejected by the people of a Samaritan town. Samaritans and Jews hated each other fiercely. Each group claimed that they were the true descendants of the ancient Israelite people. What would happen to the Jewish disciples whom Jesus was now sending into other Samaritan towns? The people first hearing Luke's gospel would have been even more alarmed because they'd be remembering an event from 52 AD when a group of Jewish pilgrims traveling through Samaria were ruthlessly murdered. Who were these 70 disciples commissioned by Jesus? Did they have special gifts or skills? No. Luke tells us later in the Acts of the Apostles that approximately 120 people were traveling with Jesus. So, let's do the math. 120 people. Chapter before, we didn't hear it on a Sunday, but it's in there, Jesus commissioned the 12 apostles. So they've already been commissioned. So that's 12 less than 120. I might be a little sexist here, but I'm guessing that since James and John were thinking they should call down fire, 
um, to the Samaritan towns, I don't think Jesus sent the women as part of these groups of two by two. So we take the women out of the 120. Well, how many people does that leave? Well, 70's got to be at least two-thirds of that group. So the qualification to be sent to the towns was that you were there. That was the qualification. Wow, isn't that scary? Sometimes it's difficult to be a Christian disciple. And here in Tennessee, many, many people are Christian, and most of us are very open-minded as we talk to one another, but sometimes we run into that occasional neighbor who expects us to worship God in a certain way and to believe certain things. In some ways, our contentions with them are over issues similar to the conflicts between the Jews and the Samaritans. Yesterday, I had the privilege to preach um, two masses at the jail. Thank you, Dale Betterton, for your crack at the translation. Much appreciated for the Spanish. And in the prison, I said, I guess you guys really, it's very hard to be a Christian disciple in here because the rule of the prison is to be tough, macho, and independent, which sort of goes against three qualities we associate with Christianity of being gentle, humble, and concerned for others. Has the Holy Spirit given us the ability, the strength, and the courage to be lambs among the wolves? We live in a culture that also values independence and keeping a good game face and not showing your emotions. Do we have the gifts? Yes. The Holy Spirit has given us all the necessary gifts. All of us here know a lot more about Christian discipleship than those 70 people commissioned by Jesus. Those 70 had only recently met Jesus. They had no exposure to the catechism of the Catholic Church because it hadn't been written yet, and they didn't know how the story would end. Unlike the 70, we know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've all heard the gospel. We know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he will serve as judge on the last day. There's a popular retreat movement that started in Spain called Curcio. It's used throughout the world with adaptations. For example, the awakening retreats that our college students do here are Curcio-style retreats. Other Curcio-style retreats include Search, Cornerstone, and Cumcristo. The great thing about Curcio-style retreats is that they encourage every person on the retreat to envision themselves as one of the 70 disciples commissioned by Jesus. Each person goes through the retreat with a group of five to seven people. And throughout the weekend, participants share their stories of faith with other members of the group. Four years ago, my friend Jim was leading a Curcio-style retreat called Kairos at a prison in central Ohio. I just learned yesterday that there are Kairos retreats um, held at some of the prisons here in Tennessee as well. well. In the middle of that retreat four years ago, an Anglo prisoner in his 50s named Vernon suddenly came to realize how much he needed the support of his fellow inmates. He suddenly stood up and approached another member of the group, a much larger African-American man named Haywood, and said, I have to know Haywood. Amazingly, Haywood stood up with tears in his eyes and gave Vernon a hug. Not a typical interaction in a prison. 
The 70 disciples were not expected to travel alone. They were to go to the villages in pairs so that they had the support of one another. But that sure didn't seem like much when facing a possibly hostile Samaritan village with no money bag, no sack, and no sandals. Jesus simply told them to greet the people in peace. Not everything went well for Vernon on that day of the retreat. When he returned to his bunk that night, he found his property strewn all over his cell. Someone had stolen the matches used to light the candles on the retreat, and the guards were searching everyone's cells for the matches. They were contraband. Whoever had them would spend time in the hole, or as I learned yesterday, El Hueco. The guards decided to move Vernon to another cell. Vernon was upset. How could they move him from the people in the prison he knew best? Vernon's anger turned to rejoicing when he arrived at his new cell to discover, yes, that his new roommate was Haywood. Just as the 70 disciples succeeded in their mission beyond their wildest dreams, Vernon saw the face of Jesus Christ that day in prison, in the face of his fellow inmate. God is not in some remote heaven. Jesus Christ is right here with us in our gathering together, in the scriptures we hear proclaimed, and in the Eucharist. And just as God shared Moses' spirit with the 70 elders, we have a share in the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. At the prison, we have a tradition of asking a question or two for the guys to ponder, and then we have a discussion after communion. We won't do that today, okay? No discussion groups after communion, but two questions to consider. How is God present with you? And how does God's presence affect what you're going to do today? When I talk with the inmates, both in minimum and medium, we do one mass there, and then another group in maximum, they had a lot of great stuff to say in regard to these questions. They talked about, it's natural when you go to jail, and I think most of us go through this experience at least into our 20s, of um, not taking responsibility for the hand you're dealt, saying, I'm here because of what other people did. Things haven't turned out for me because of these other people. But they talked about that they really started to grow when they started to take responsibility and accept whatever they were given. If you wait around for life to be fair, you're going to wait your whole life. But they talked also about it's just like going into prison can be like being a lamb among the wolves. Coming out of prison can be the same way. Think about people who have no money bag, no sack, and no sandals. One guy said, all I have, I'm getting released in two weeks, and all I have is a down coat because I was sent here in the middle of the winter. But they said, you know, when you leave here, it's really easy to think you have to take care of yourself and do it all yourself, but that it's better to recognize that you have to rely on God and the goodness of others. So how about us, though? We are so gifted, each of us in this room. If you don't believe that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are, pray. And a good prayer, if you don't think the Holy Spirit's dwelling within you, 
is a prayer we hear a couple of times in the Gospels. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 